So let's open the Bible now and we're going to read John 11, um, 1 to 57. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews were here, they tried to stone you. And yet you're going to go back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. 
If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. Guys, tell us, tell us a bit about your story. Yep. Um, so in 2019, um, I was pregnant with Arlo and um, I was just about to go on maternity leave at, um, from work. And um, well, I, I decided that I would go away on a work retreat um, just before I was finishing up. And um, while I was on this work retreat, I started having some severe pain um, and I knew it wasn't labour because I'd been through labour with Oscar and um, I managed it overnight. The next day I knew that I needed to go to hospital. So my friend um, and colleague drove me to hospital and Sam met us there. And within an hour and a half, um, I was rushed into have an emergency cesarean and Ali was born. Um, and at the time I was um, shocked, but I just told myself that it was okay because um, God had um, brought Arlo into the world safely. Um, and, yeah, so we just were so thankful that he was okay. Um, and after that we... Uh, spent a few days in hospital and then went home um, and had a few days together. And then on day five of Arlo's life, um, he was quite jaundiced and it wasn't improving. So my midwife uh, wanted to check his levels. So she did that. And um, that night I was getting into bed with Arlo and I was just praying to God that um if something else was wrong that we would go to hospital for the jaundice and very quickly we got a call from my midwife and said we needed to take him back to hospital we um, bundled him up and went to hospital and just praying the whole way there um, filled with anxiety and even though it was just jaundice at that stage it just felt like something wasn't right so we got to hospital and um, got out of the car and I carried him up to NICU and handed him over to the nurse and that was the last time that we got to hold it, our boy properly. Um, we handed him over and pretty quickly they realised that something else was wrong, that it wasn't just jaundice, that um, he was sick. And then we had a few days of just um, tests and hearing scary things that could be wrong, like meningococcal and, um, yeah, and all these different things. And eventually they diagnosed him with the common cold virus and we were so relieved at that point because we thought it wasn't a big deal that um, people get better from colds. Um, but then that night, um, Arlo's heart rate skyrocketed and he just wasn't doing well. We, um, asked the, the doctors and the nurse if he was going to die and they said he could. And that was just one of the worst moments of our life. And we just begged God that 
he'd save Arlo, that he would, um, the prayer that I, I remember saying out loud was, please let us keep being his parents. And then we had to leave him to be um, intubated. And so we had my mom and, and Sam Hilton come and another good friend, Megan. Um, and they just stayed with us while we, while we just waited for news and we were praying and just so terrified. And eventually they told us that there was one last thing they could do for Arlo and that was to fly him to Westmead Children's Hospital to put him on ECMO, which is a life support um, yeah, method. <laughs> um, and so then Sam had to to do the hard job of going to Westmead in the helicopter with Arlo and if you want to share about that. Yeah, so they they had at first told us that this was the second time we'd heard that he might not survive the flight. The flight's pretty risky. Um, and so, yeah, we ran out to the helicopter, got on that, and we made it to Sydney. Amy drove down separately. Um, but, yeah, eventually they put him on ECMO, the life support, and um, his heart rate came down. So we thought that's, you know, one good thing, but the next few days were just a blur of um, emergency surgeries and things going wrong, um, multiple meetings with doctors and kind of trying to get some sleep knowing the phone could ring to rush back up to his bedside. Um, but he kept coming through, which was, which gave us hope. You know, he, he came through the birth, he came through all these kind of early really scary things. Uh, but eventually um, they tried to take him off ECMO once and he didn't respond well. So he went back on the life support. Um, and then, yeah, the second time they tried to take him off after we'd been told they won't be at the time, he wasn't doing well. Um, he crashed pretty quickly and eventually they... Um, they told us that he was dying and there was nothing more they could do for him. Um, so, yeah, this was on his 29th day of life. They moved him onto our lap and um, we literally watched his heart stop beating um, as he passed away. I remember a time when you were saying that you were feeling very angry towards God but you couldn't stop believing in him. Do you remember how that was kind of working in your in your head and your heart at that time? What was going on? Yeah, I. That's what I. What I really struggle with is my belief never left. My belief in God never left, but my belief in His goodness did for a yeah. while. I I couldn't see His goodness, and yeah. um, I think the anger just was so consuming. Mm. Um, but I think when you know the Lord. Like, you know the truth in your heart. Like, it doesn't leave even in the worst of the worst yeah. times. Um, when you know the Lord, that doesn't leave. And so it was his character that I was really wrestling with. It wasn't yeah. my belief in God. It was his character. Like, who are you if you could let this happen? I had stages of real bitterness um, that I had never experienced before. I felt like I lost myself. I didn't know who I was. Yeah. Um but as time went on, I didn't want to become known as a, a bitter woman. Um, I didn't want that bitterness to consume me. Um, and so I got to a point where I had to make a decision. Am I going to stay this way or do I keep wrestling through and do I take all of this to God? Um, and so I just kept going to him and there were times where um, all I could say is help. Like, I have nothing else. I'm so angry at you. I don't feel love towards you right now, but help. Um, and yeah, I, I believe that he didn't let me go. And after about a year, I felt the anger start to ease, the bitterness eased. And, um, I stopped asking God why in anger. 
I still ask him why, but it's not in anger anymore. It's more um, just out of being heartbroken that Arlo's not with us. You're an extrovert in every area of life and you're an extrovert in your grief. Mm. And so what you were feeling came out very naturally. Um, whereas Sam, you're wired slightly differently. <laughs> um, how, how did it all play out for you? I think um, I've definitely felt very numb for a very long time. Um, I also felt the weight of responsibility that I just had to keep going. Mm. I couldn't fall apart for for Amy's sake, for Oscar's sake. Mm. I just kind of had to keep going. Yeah. So it was probably a good 18 months before I had a bit of a crash. Mm. Um, but, yeah, for me, like Amy was saying, we kept coming back to that, you know, there's the line where Jesus asked the disciples if they want to leave and they say, where else would we go? Mm. That's what we kept coming back to. And... um Another favourite verse of ours um, in James where it talks about Job's perseverance in suffering and then what God finally brought about and that uh, God is full of compassion and mercy. Mm. So we just had to cling to that. And for me, I kind of wanted to, I wanted to reconcile those two things, that we know this is true in our head. We've been reading it and hearing it for years at church and we know it's true, but what we went through was so traumatic and then the loss so big that um, I wanted to, I wanted that to make sense. Tell us about the hope that Jesus actually brought to that moment for you guys. We know, we know that Jesus has control over death. We know that Arlo's death wasn't outside of that. Um, even though it'll, it'll always hurt that he said no to healing him, we know we have the hope of seeing Arlo again, of a world where this kind of thing doesn't happen. Mm. Um, and we know that in Jesus we have a God who has entered into this pain. Um, he's not removed from it. We know that Jesus, you know, wept for his own friends and, uh, was compassionate towards his friends and his people. Um, and that, yeah, he, you know, we often said that we would never willingly go through this and give up our son, but that's exactly what we know that God has done for us. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we, we do have that hope to cling to. Mm. We just long for heaven. We long for that day that we get to see Arlo again, that we, get to be at complete peace. I don't think, well, for me at least, I don't think it's possible to be at complete peace when there's so much brokenness um, and pain. Um, But there's hope that that will come. And the only way that that will come is through Jesus. Wow. Watching that, it's almost overwhelming, isn't it? Just the enormity of everything we've just seen, the enormity of Sam and Amy's pain, and yet their hope in Jesus. I'm, I'm so grateful that Sam and Amy were willing to talk about their experiences. And you know, I, I almost feel like we're, we're trespassing on sacred ground as we watch that because it's so personal, isn't it? And yet, death is personal, isn't it? In our culture, we often treat death in a really impersonal way. You know, in, in movies, we see characters die all the time, but they're, they're just characters on a screen. And, and in life, we hear about people dying. You know, we hear about, say, case numbers from COVID, but usually they're just numbers to us, aren't they? It's only when death comes really near to us, someone we know, someone we love, that we really are confronted by how personal death is. And it's funny, you know, even, even Jesus' brush, brushes with death in the New Testament, they often seem a little bit impersonal. They're, they seem a little bit detached because Jesus raises people from the dead, but 
they're not usually people he knows. So Jairus's daughter and the, the widow's son at Nain, Jesus had never actually met them before they died. And so it's almost as if we read them just as miracles. We don't get in touch with the personal tragedy of those events much. But Lazarus is different. Lazarus is someone that Jesus really loved. Three times in John 11, we're told that Jesus loved Lazarus. Lord, the one you love is sick. Lazarus wasn't a project for Jesus. He wasn't just someone who died and now he had the opportunity to show his power. No, Lazarus was someone Jesus really loved. And so John 11 just has this intensely personal feel. The, the pain is so much more real and personal. And Jesus' sadness and, and Mary and Martha's grief. And what that means is that John 11 is just one of those passages that can get under our skin. John 11 is one of those passages that gets us to think again and to think more deeply about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to really trust Jesus And just in the time we've got, we're going to explore three things from John 11. And the first one is, death is awful, even for people who have hope. Sometimes, especially when we're younger, we kind of assume that Christians won't feel as much pain when people we love die, or maybe we shouldn't feel pain, because we know all about heaven, right? They're going to rise from the dead. They're going to be in heaven I remember once reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with our two eldest kids, and now maybe nine or, and seven, and we got to that bit where Aslan dies. You know, when, when Aslan's tied to the table and the evil creatures have cut off his hair and they're tormenting him, and, and I'm reading this, and I'm just a total wreck. There's tears streaming down my cheeks, my voice is cracking, because I know that Aslan is Jesus, right? And I look over at James and Sophia and nothing. No tears at all. Cool as cucumbers. And I'm like, what's the matter with you guys? I mean, Aslan's dying. Why are you breaking up? And Sophia just pipes up and says, oh, we know Aslan's Jesus. We know he's going to rise from the dead. So I pinched her just to make her cry. No. But, you know, Christians can maybe feel like we should be the same. We should feel less sad when a Christian dies, because they'll be in heaven, right? So it's all good, right? But in this passage, it's not all good. John 11 is just soaked with grief. Come and have a look in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, My brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd also come with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. See, Jesus comes And Mary is deep in her grief. Verse 33, she's weeping and and everyone else is weeping. And even though Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus, Jesus still weeps. And in verse 33, he's still deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. And that's not an act. Jesus isn't pretending here for dramatic effect. He really is grieved. Because death is awful, even for people who have hope. It's awful because we were never meant to die. Death is just not right. It's not right that Lazarus died. It's not right that Sam and Amy had to hold their little boy and watch his heart stop beating. That's not right. It's not right that children die before their parents. It's not right that parents die. And yes, 
we have a wonderful hope. We'll look at that soon, but hope doesn't remove pain. It just makes the pain more bearable. And yet, you know, one of the most disturbing things about John 11 is Jesus puts Lazarus and Mary and Martha through this pain. Jesus allows it to happen. So look in verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. See, the the sisters tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick, and their point is obvious. Lord, you love him. Come and heal the one you love. But Jesus doesn't come. No, instead, he procrastinates for two whole days and Lazarus dies. And everyone knows that Jesus could have stopped this if he wanted to. Three times in the passage, it said, Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. The fact is, Jesus let Lazarus die. He put Mary and Martha and Lazarus through this because he puts his own glory first. So just take another look in 11 verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. That's why Jesus waits. He waits so that he can glorify God and glorify himself by raising Lazarus. And I'll be honest with you, I find that almost unbearable. I find it almost grotesque that Jesus would put Lazarus and Mary and Martha through that much pain just for his own glory, you know? It seems so self-centered. It seems so egotistical. Jesus looks like he's just toying with people's grief here for his own ends. And I'll be honest with you, this is the kind of thing in the Bible that really could destroy my faith because it it erodes my sense that Jesus is really good. It erodes my sense that God is good. Amy said that, didn't she? She never doubted that God was real. But she did begin to doubt whether God was good. And pain and death does that to us. But you know, the the one thing that really helps me in this passage is verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6 really make, they're very hard verses, they really make me rethink what Jesus' love means. Just have another look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now in my normal way of thinking, I'll be honest, those verses don't make any sense at all. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, so he stayed where he was and he didn't go and heal him. That makes no sense to me at all. I mean, I would have thought the loving thing to do would be to go and heal Lazarus. I would have thought the loving thing to do for all of them is not put them through that kind of pain. I would have thought that Jesus is putting his own glory ahead of love here. But that's not what John says, is it? 
Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. It was love that made Jesus wait. Now, how can that be? Look, this is really hard to hear for human beings. But the most loving thing God can ever do for us is use us and our lives for his glory. The most loving thing God can ever do for us is to use us and our lives for his glory. I mean, we think that the most loving thing God could ever do for us is to make us happy, to alleviate pain. But the most loving thing God can ever do for us is to use us and our lives for his glory. Because God's glory is actually the greatest good in the universe. That God be known for who he is. That God be loved. That God be worshipped as the magnificent God that he is. That is all the greatest good in the universe. And usually I I don't see this because I forget how worthy of glory God is. But it was love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus that Jesus put them through that pain. He did that because he loved them enough to use them for his glory. What I'm about to say really runs the risk of sounding awful and insensitive. The fact is, I don't know why God chose to take Arlo when he did. Why did God choose to give Arlo 29 days? I don't know. And everything inside me says, I wish he hadn't taken Arlo. I wish we'd known him now for the toddler that he could have been. I saw the agony that Sam and Amy went through and we cried bitter tears together. And even now, I wish Arlo was with us. But I am convinced of this. God loved Arlo. And because he loved him, he used Arlo for his glory. I mean, how Arlo glorified God in his little short life. Through Arlo, Jesus preached his gospel throughout the world. Through Arlo, Jesus taught us how to pray. Through Arlo, Jesus taught us to long for heaven and how to love love each other and support each other. And, you know, I am convinced that Arlo is going to praise God for all of that in heaven. I think when we get to heaven, Arlo is going to say to us, I had the privilege of being used mightily by God for those 29 days and not just those days, but for decades and decades beyond as my story was told and Jesus was praised. And look, it doesn't take away the pain because death is awful, even for those with hope. But Jesus' love and the great hope we have it does begin to make pain bearable, doesn't it? Jesus loves us, even in the middle of it. And you know, the second thing to draw from this passage is Jesus gives us real, tangible hope in the middle of death. Just come and have a look at, at Jesus' meeting with Martha in verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. You see, Jesus comes to Martha and again, she's deep in her grief. And it's hard not to hear the accusation of verse 21, isn't it? If you'd been here, if you'd got your act together, my brother wouldn't have died. And yet in the midst of her grief, Jesus offers a beautiful hope. Have a look in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And in verse, at first, Martha doesn't understand Jesus. Or maybe it's actually that she just knows her Bible too well because look what she says in verse 24. 
She says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, Martha says, of course he's going to rise again. Everyone does. Everyone knows this. It's, a, it's the resurrection day. You see, the Jews had this belief from the Old Testament that God was actually going to raise everyone from the dead. They got it from passages like Daniel chapter 12, which said, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. And they got it from passages like Ezekiel 37, that great passage about the valley of the dry bones, when God said, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. And so the Jews were actually expecting this day when God would raise everyone from the dead. They called it the resurrection. And Martha thinks that Jesus is just talking about that. He's offering her some vague future hope. But look what Jesus says in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. See, Jesus says to her, that resurrection that you know about, that you're talking about, I am that resurrection. It's here with me. It's come right now. So Jesus is promising to raise Lazarus from the dead. And in fact, Jesus has actually been promising that for a while, hasn't he? Remember John 5, a few weeks back. Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. See, Jesus has already said in John that he's going to raise the dead, and he promises to raise Lazarus. And in fact, that's what he does straight away. Come down to verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. And look, just as an aside, verse 39 is one of those verses that is just so much better in the older translations. You know, in the, the King James Version, uh, the version that our parent, grandparents grew up with, what Martha literally says is, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he hath been there four days. Lord, he stinketh. That's, that verse is a gift to youth leaders the world over. But then Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out and his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take the grave clothes off and let him go. You see, Jesus promises Martha that he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And then he goes and he does it. Although when you stop and think about it, this is actually only a preview of the resurrection, isn't it? This isn't actually the resurrection itself because when you think about it, Lazarus is going to die again after this, isn't he? I mean, it's not like Lazarus is actually still out there wandering the earth somehow. No, eventually Lazarus died again. This is actually more of a resuscitation than a resurrection. It's just a preview of that final day. But when Jesus rises at the end of John, that's something different. Because when Jesus rises at the end of John, he never dies. Jesus isn't resuscitated at the end of John. He is resurrected. And with him, the resurrection has begun. And I think that's what Jesus means when he says, I am the resurrection. He's not just promising to raise Lazarus. He's saying the resurrection begins 
with me. I'm the one who brings it. And look, this is something that is right at the very heart of Christianity. We cling to this. We don't believe that death is the end. We have a real hope that one day, just as Jesus rose, he's going to raise us from the dead as well, and we will live forever. And it's not a vague, wishy-washy, pie-in-the-sky kind of hope. No, it's real. It's tangible because it's already begun with Jesus. And Christians cling to this hope, don't we? I mean, we saw Sam and Amy cling to this hope, didn't we? Sam said, we know Jesus has control over death. And even though it'll always hurt, we have the hope of seeing Arlo again. We have that hope and we cling to it, he said. And Amy said, I don't think it's possible to be at peace when there's so much brokenness and pain, but there's hope that that'll come. And the only way it'll come is through Jesus. And look, those aren't hollow words, are they? They're not the naive words of people who've never suffered. Sam and Amy have suffered so deeply. And yet they have a real hope because Jesus has risen from the dead and he is going to raise them and he's going to raise their boy. That's real hope, isn't it? It's a hope that you can believe in, trust in. And in fact, this passage really shows us what real faith in Jesus looks like. Faith is a huge theme in John 11. It's a huge theme all the way through John In verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then down in verse 40, Jesus says, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And then down in verse 42, Jesus says to God in his prayer, I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. You see, faith or belief, same word, trust, it's a huge theme in John 11. And faith really means putting your eternity in Jesus' hands. It means Jesus believing, trusting, relying that Jesus could raise you and will raise you. That he could raise Lazarus and that he would raise Lazarus. And we've all placed our trust in him for that on the last day. And yet because John 11 is so personal, I think it actually gives us a deeper view of what real faith looks like in practice. Real faith is not a simple, straightforward thing, is it? I mean, for Mary and Martha, faith meant trusting that Jesus really did love them even though he didn't come. They had to trust him that his delay wasn't because he couldn't be bothered, that it was actually because of his love. And so Martha says to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. That's not straightforward, naive faith, is it? Martha's trust in Jesus has been tested to the absolute limits because when she called, he didn't come. And she's confused, maybe even angry. But she says, I still trust you. In fact, Amy said something really similar, didn't she? She said, my belief in God never left, but my belief in his goodness left for a while. The anger was just all-consuming. But I think when you know the Lord, you know the truth in your heart, Amy said. You see, faith isn't as simple as, I trust Jesus and all my cares suddenly dissolve. Sometimes it's really messy. When Jesus says no to our most desperate prayers, 
when our experience experience seems to tell us that Jesus doesn't care. When we want to say to God, who are you? Who are you if you could let this happen to me? Sometimes faith is incredibly messy and hard and we're actually just clinging in there by the edge of our teeth. It's Amy saying to God, help. I have nothing else and I'm so angry at you and I don't feel love towards you, but help. That really is the cry of faith, isn't it? Sometimes that's exactly what faith looks like. Sometimes faith is confusion and anger and heartache. And we just have to hang in there and trust that God won't let us go. Because we believe that he loves us and we believe that he'll raise us from the dead. But you know, the third thing that we see from this passage is actually that Jesus' death is what makes the resurrection most beautiful. You see, John 11 doesn't actually finish the way you think it would. You'd think that after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, John would have finished this passage with something like, and later, when Jesus himself rose from the dead, his disciples remembered this moment and remembered what Jesus said when he said he was the resurrection and they put their faith in him. I mean, that's how I would have finished John 11. If only John would have consulted me, he could have finished it properly. But actually, no, look how John finishes John 11 in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went and told the Pharisees what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here's this man performing many signs. If we let him go like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. Do you not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish? He didn't say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day, they plotted to take his life. You see, John doesn't finish by pointing us to Jesus' resurrection and dwelling on the resurrection. John finishes this chapter by pointing to Jesus' death. And this beautiful kind of ironic thing where the high priest is really just saying, oh, it's all right if Jesus is collateral damage. But what he really says is, and he didn't know it, is that Jesus was going to die for everyone. You see, it's not just Jesus' resurrection that brings us hope. It's the fact that Jesus rose after he died for us. That's what brings us hope. Jesus rose after he died for us. You see, Jesus died in a way that Lazarus never did. He died in a way that you and I never will. Jesus died for us. See verse 51 there? Jesus died for the Jewish nation, and he died for the scattered children of God, which is the rest of us. Jesus died for us to pay for our sins. And that makes Jesus' death different to any other death in history because Jesus' death was about taking the punishment for other people. Jesus died in our place to make us right with God. Jesus died for the rest of us, anyone who trusts him. Which means that we're not just hoping that God is going to raise us to another life just like this one, where it'll be a mess and bad things will happen, and we're going to die again. No, we hope, we believe that Jesus is going to raise us to eternal life, to a life where there will be no more sin and no more pain and no more death because Jesus has dealt with those things once and for all by his own death. One day, Lazarus is going to wake up, and Arlo, is going to wake up 
And if we die before Jesus comes back, we will wake up. But we won't wake up to another life like this one. No, we'll wake up and we'll never know pain again. Because Jesus didn't just rise. He died. He died for sins and then he was raised. And we place our eternity in his hands. Shall we talk to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this deeply, deeply personal passage where Jesus isn't just confronted by death, but the death of someone he dearly loves. We thank you that we see Jesus' humanity as he grieves and as he weeps because death is awful even for people who have hope. And even though it seems so hard for us to say it, we thank you that Jesus used Lazarus for his glory and your glory. Help us to really believe that your glory is the greatest and best good. And that when you put us through pain for your glory, it's not because you don't love us. It's because you do love us. Please continue to convince us of that hard truth to see your glory as being worth it, worth everything. We thank you for the great hope that Jesus gives us in this passage, that he will raise people from the dead and in fact that he is the beginning of the resurrection. We pray that we'll believe him, even when belief looks incredibly messy, even when we are just clinging on by the edge of our fingers, because everything in us, tells us that you are not good because our experiences seem to tell us that we can't trust you. Please help us even in the messiness of real faith to cling to your goodness because of passages like John 11. And we thank you that it's Jesus' death that makes his resurrection most beautiful. That he doesn't just rise from the dead, he dies in our place. And so our hope isn't just for another life, but eternal life, where sin and death and pain are gone. Father, we thank you for this beautifully personal passage that teaches us so deeply about what it means to know you and be loved by you and to trust you. Amen.